stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick. And this week, I'm joined by Zach senior strategist, Kevin Cook, to talk about the sizzling hot stock market. Are we in a market melt-up? What's the psychology behind this? And will it continue, I guess, although nobody knows. Um, So Kevin's been on with us many times to talk about investor behavior, and that's a topic he talks about every week on his own podcast, Mind Over Money. So Kevin, the idea for today's episode really came for me after watching those Boeing shares this year. It wasn't Fang. It wasn't the semiconductors. You know, it wasn't the like old school hot to trot stocks, but it was Boeing, this, you know, huge Dow industrial component. It's been around for decades. Um, they're headquartered here in Chicago. So we stare at their building and the shares I, I'm sorry to say, I'll, I'll just say it, they're out of control in a good way, in a good way for shareholders. But over the last year, they're up 112%. Year to date, they're up at least 13% when we're recording this. Um, PE is now 28. So it, what what's going on? Yeah, when you uh, proposed the idea for this show, this was your, your poster child. Yeah, of the melt-up. For, for, for the topic. And when we talked last week, it was actually trading 30 times. I know. Forward. It's a little cheaper now. And you had to point out, that's higher than Facebook. Yeah, it <laughs> was at the time. 27 times. Yeah. So, you know, th- there's a lot of angles here, and we could we could say, well, is this what happens at the end of the bull market where, you know, all of a sudden the, the average investor, the retail investor, rushes in and buys the top of everything? And I don't think that's what's going on with Boeing. So I, I wanted to take a closer look. You know, I thought, I, I don't think that retail investors – are pushing Boeing above 350. Yeah, I don't um, think so know, either. How many are, can afford to buy even, you know, a couple exactly. of shares of that? No. Right. So, uh, you know, so is it is it about, you know, selling more aircraft? Is it about defense? Is there something going to be, you know, an expansion in, in the defense budget this year? Is it about the space program? And I, you know, I, I haven't nailed that down yet, but I was just looking at, at, different analyst price targets, and a lot of analysts came out early this month really bullish on Boeing um, and raising price targets uh, even above 400. Uh, Cowan & Company went to 415, and um, and Bank of America moved their price target to 395. Um, they're just very optimistic. They're willing to pay, you know, over 25 times yeah. for this growth, and that drives institutional investment money in there, right? If they, if the analysts are, you know, staking, putting this stake in the ground, um, but there's also a broader phenomenon here that goes beyond Boeing. Like Boeing's our big example, but yeah. what's happening is, is so many stocks are reaching what you might call full valuation. Right. That it drives investors into lots of other stocks. Yes. Let's talk about some of those other ones, because you and I kind of made a list of some of the ones we've seen that may or may not be at, you know, some somewhat near the full valuation, as you put it here. Um, mm-hmm. And one of those would be Salesforce. Let's start with them. Ticker is CRM. Yeah. Their PE is 84, but they've always been expensive. But year to date, they're up 8.4%. And we've only been, had 15 sessions at the time we're recording this. 15 sessions yeah. on the year, and it's already up 8.4%. And the interesting psychology with this one is I actually owned it uh, last year 
for uh, my Taser portfolio. And I really like the, the Salesforce ecosystem. I thought, yeah, they really had room to grow because they had so many large enterprises as their customers, right? And, and they were doing so many different things. They were moving into artificial intelligence with IBM and, you know, really serving their enterprise clients. So I thought, yeah, this stock's going to go to 100 in the next 6 to 12 months. But it was just moving so slow. And then I got worried about the valuation coming into the fall. So here I am getting worried about the valuation. And now the stock is $20 higher. (laughs) Um, But the earnings are are growing. It's so expensive. Yes. But no one seems to care whatsoever about valuation. Like, does does anyone talk about it? Like, no one cares that that's 84 times. Nobody. Right. So... So I made a, um, I made sort of a melt-up recipe, if you will. You know, like, what, why is this melt-up unique? What's going on? You know, is this, um, are we talking about a stock market that's overheating? Or is there something going on that justifies it and that will keep it going? And I think it's the latter. I think that the, what's going on will keep going on for most of the year. And here's why. This is the, this is the melt-up recipe. First okay. of all, even if we are in the later stages of the bull market, or e- even if we're not that close, let's say we're only in the sixth inning of the bull market, uh, and, and, and if we are, that means it'll become the longest ever, right? Right. Because we're, yeah, we're on pace to take over number two and number one pretty soon. But um, one phenomenon is multiple expansion, right? Valuations do go higher. We know that. Now, they're nothing like they were in 1999, 2000, and we can't compare it to 2006, 2007 because there the you know the banking system broke apart. Right. So we've got multiple expansion. We've also got this phenomena that I call uh, competition, where there's less stock and there's more investors. There are so many more investors these days. You, you've got you know all these institutions, all these hedge funds, and, and pension funds moving more and more into equity. So they're competing. And when you get competition between these large institutional investors, you run into the problem of, first of all, my number one rule for Wall Street is they have to buy. That's their job. They yeah. have, if, if they are chartered as a long equity fund, they have to buy stocks. Number two, they don't have to sell. So they can buy a high PE stock and not worry about it because their risk is underperforming the S&P as the S&P moves higher. A third element of this recipe is that there are no global macro worries. You know, for so many years, investors got fooled by Europe, fooled by China, fooled by Washington politics, <laughs> um, you know, fooled by emerging markets, um, fooled by rates rising, and you can't get fooled again. If you've seen this movie before in this bull market, you cannot sit on the sidelines and think, oh, I'm going to be 30% in cash and, and really buy that big correction, which never comes. Because those investors got left behind and nobody wants to, you know, the professional investors can't afford to do that. So that's why they are part of this melt-up recipe. Yeah, I feel like I haven't talked about the Eurozone crisis in quite a while now. Even Greece, <laughs> right. even Greece is on the back burner now. I haven't mentioned that in any of my commentaries. I haven't talked about the Chinese hard landing in, in a, at least over a year. At least a week. No, yeah, kidding. <laughs> no it's been a long time um, because right. things have turned there. And even, you know, Brazil, 
I know it's not as bad as it was. So they're slowly coming out of it too. And yeah, we have Brexit, but nobody's really, nobody's really caring about Brexit right now either. So yeah, I agree with you. There's like nothing um, on the economic side globally that would be a stumbling block for this year, for sure. Right. And, and another place where one where I got really fooled was the earnings recession of 2015 and 2016. I yeah. thought that that, you know, we had six quarters of negative earnings growth, uh, mostly driven by the energy sector, but it was right. like spilling over into other industries. And I thought that could really tip us over. And, you know, getting fooled by that and by Brexit was was a big mistake. So, yeah, it's like it it's like investors have finally learned, man, there is nothing that can slow down this economy in this bull market. And that's I mean, we need to mention the the underlying here, which is the economy. You also have an accelerating economy. So this is a perfect storm recipe for the melt up and investors, large investors cannot be left behind. Um, that's why I mentioned uh, Bank of America uh, taking Boeing to uh, what did I say uh, three ninety five on their price target. Yeah. Um, but Bank of America is is doing that across the board in lots of big stocks. They took the high street target on Nvidia, which I own, to two hundred seventy five, and they took the high street target on Facebook to two twenty which I also own. So Bank of America is, you know, they're pretty well-respected, their equity research, and they're encouraging large investors to have this broad macro view of we only have tailwinds here, folks. Now, what about NVIDIA? It was one of the hottest stocks last year. All the semis were hot. It was, it's up 127% for the year, but 19.9% year to date already. Again, in only 15 sessions, it's already up 20%. It now has a PE of 55. And I know that I get it. I get the NVIDIA story. And, um, you know, people love Jensen right now. They think he's really, you know, on point with what his company needs to be doing with AI. But 19% year to date. You, you just said a minute ago that you can't wait for a pullback. So do I not wait? Do I not? Or if I'm a growth investor, it, do yeah, well, I still get into these? That's my big question. Yeah, NVIDIA is a tough one here because I think it's trading like 240 today, a yeah. new all-time high. Um, you know, here's what I told people, Zach's ultimate members, for the past month when I, I did special video presentations and stuff. I said, you... You always buy this stock anytime it gets near 40 times forward earnings. And you can okay. pay up to 50 times forward earnings. And, and the reason you can is because even some analysts are behind. They, they can't see all the growth that this company is going to create in all its different business segments from, um, you know, the data centers, autonomous yeah. driving, different things with artificial intelligence, robotics. So they can't even keep up with... The, the growth in these different segments and gaming is still huge for NVIDIA, obviously it's, yeah. it's half the revenues and that's a hundred billion dollar industry. Um, and they just continue to take share there. So the, the analysts have a hard time seeing, you know, they, they can imagine how this company is going to be central um, to so many different types of businesses that, that use some form of AI in the next five years, but it's, it's hard for them to model that. Okay. And so, well, here's what I was going to say is that they have so many customers. It's like 
not not only does NVIDIA have so many customers, but everybody is their customer. So you think right. of all the companies like Amazon, Alibaba, Baidu, you know, anybody that's in the cloud yeah. wants that architecture and that platform to build their AI systems. Let's talk about another one that's uh, kind of similar about the platform. And I think of it on for the blockchain, or at least it's always considered a blockchain play now, but that's Square, ticker SQ. And this one, um, over the last year, up 210%. So this is our, this is our big winner here so far. Um, and even year-to-date, it's up almost 26% year-to-date. Now, just as a comparison, the NASDAQ overall is up 6.3% when we're recording this on um, uh, late January. So while the NASDAQ itself is doing really well so far in 2018, but this one up almost 26% year-to-date. It has a PE of 97, but I know that this, too, is a play on, you know, this emerging technology and even just the current technology that they're using um, with a lot of small merchants. So what do you think about Square here? Yeah, so I have no problem justifying the PE on NVIDIA at 55 times. Okay. Um, But I I choke a little bit when I talk about Square (laughs) at 90 times. And uh, in full disclosure, I actually bought it this morning okay. for, for one of my trading portfolios. Okay. And I had been looking at it for a month. I watched it run up to 50 on all the hype about Bitcoin and blockchain and all that. you know. And I thought, oh, that, that was quite a spike. Let's let it come back. It comes back down to 35, and I was licking yeah. my chops. But then still looking at the valuation going, I'm going to pay 75 times for this at right. $35. And I didn't pull the trigger. I thought, well, maybe we'll do better. Maybe we'll come down to 32. And, it, of course, it didn't. Right. And then last week, um, an analyst came out uh, from Nomura Instanet and said, you know what? You really need to think about this like an Amazon story in terms of disruption, in terms of revenue growth, in terms of an ecosystem. He didn't use the word ecosystem, but, but I'm using that. Like, that's what he's talking about. This is a very disruptive technology platform right? Not just the technology, but also a platform that's growing lots of new customers, you know, um, 28% revenue growth they're going to see this year, 80% EPS growth. And so, yeah, now it's up to 45 bucks, trading almost 100 times this year's projected EPS. (laughs) And so I took a little stab at it because I'm like, you know what, I think you need to accumulate it here. And this is one, because I'm always thinking, what are the big investors going to do? And again, my thesis is, hey, they have to buy, and they really don't have to sell. So they can they can plug their nose at some of these PEs and buy them yeah. if they're thinking out two or three years. And that's the, really the way you need to think about a company like Square. Um, and any you know any we we had some smart investors who bought it at you know twenty twenty five at Vax, and you know they did the right thing. You know, yeah. and and you buy it and you hang on because they're going to grow their own platform just like an Nvidia. Yeah. Or potentially even just like an Amazon. How much of this is um, the fear of missing out syndrome? Absolutely. I mean, it, like I said, my first two rules for Wall Street are, one, they have to buy. Two, they don't have to sell. Well, because they can't be left. Large investors cannot be left behind. So they have this big fear. And this one got away from them. You yeah. know, I just talked about this recipe. And you put these things together, like all these fears that people got fooled by before. Now they're watching the market get away from them, and there's there doesn't appear to be any headwinds. You know, no policy headwinds, no interest rate headwinds, no regulation. 
no no global macro. So that's why they're reaching for these stocks, and that's why you see Boeing, you know, trading up to thirty times, and and all these others. Yeah, I know when um, you and I were talking about this podcast before, you know, we were before today, before recording it, I kind of threw the question at you, well, where can you find an area that's not really melting up, but where there might be some, you know, uh, dare I say value or just an area that's kind of being ignored? Um, And you and I both uh, talked about the energy sector, which did have a rebound at the end of last year off of its real bad lows, let's just call it. Uh, so they they had a nice little rally at the end of last year. So they're not as beaten down as they once were. But um, I brought up one of the names that I actually own this in the value investor portfolio, Pioneer Natural Resources. Their ticker is PXD. This is one of the bigger of the energy EMPs, they're domestic drillers in the Permian. So that's why I like them because the Permian is still where you want to be. And one year I looked up their returns. These shares are up just 1.4% on for the year. And then year to date though, they're, they're pretty hot. I have to say up 7.3%. And that is above where the Dow and the S and P are as we're recording this towards the end of January. So um, even some of the energy plays, I, I don't know if I'd call it melt up, but even they're seeming to get a little hot. Is this an area that investors should be looking at for 2018? I mean, probably you look at the price of oil here. Um, I mean, you've got a pretty strong uptrend for oil, right? I mean, qu- quite a recovery. And I'm not sure of all the internal market drivers there, right? but it, it bodes well for a large, very efficient producer like Pioneer. You said they're in the Permian. That's yeah. where the that's where they have the cheapest cost to to get it out of the ground. And um, so, yeah. yeah, they seem to be in a prime position. Yeah, and I noticed the stock is it's not even back to its highs of last summer. No, but but so. the recovery in crude. You know, I mean, it's it's really all about that. And right. I suppose if um, I'm looking at a weekly chart of crude as we talk here. And I see it really got above like this year-long base it made, like between say you know forty-two and and fifty-five. Yeah. It did that for for well over a year, and now it's above that. It will probably sustain above that. So you, you yeah. you're, if you're talking fifty-five dollars, sixty-dollar oil, then there's a lot of players that that have become profitable right. again, right? Right. The earnings have really turned around in this group. So that's one of the things. Pioneer, though, is trading at 47 times because those earnings are still lagging what the overall story is going to be. So it will, usually the energies look cheap when oil's like at the peak, basically. (laughs) So you have to look at them as kind of a group and compare them with their peers and what's going on there than just Uh the straightforward PE if you're looking for value, technically. So... Um, but some of the service side actually have the lower PEs um, because they're the ones who are, you know, drilling and um, pumping and all of that. So it's a little bit different. Their earnings aren't as crude dependent, obviously, for the price of crude. Obviously, their customers are, though. So, um, but yeah, that side has had quite an improvement already. We've seen in this earnings season, some of the big Schlumbergers and Halliburtons are reporting real good numbers now, finally. So, yeah, I like the energy side. It's not so much melting up, but 
when I see a lot of these industrials, I looked at a couple others that are reporting this week, like Illinois Toolworks. You know, who talks about Illinois Toolworks? No, no offense to them. But they've been, I, I love the old industrial companies that have been around for decades and they, they never really got their glory. But that chart is crazy too. Um, not quite as yeah. crazy as the Boeings and some of those, but, you know, super bullish. And of course, that reflects the overall economy and what their earnings are doing and these tax cuts and all that stuff. But when I start to see these older industrials that, you know, 100 years, 150 years, and then they start trading at 25 times or 30 <laughs> times, it's it does remind yeah. me a little bit of the late 60s, early 70s. I've mentioned this on my own podcast in the past. Uh, it does remind me of the nifty 50 um, when the, you know, a lot of the big blue chips got really expensive. But that back then, it, it went so long, it they were trading it like 50 times on average. So I don't think we're there yet. I don't, I don't think no. we're that expensive yet. But that's something I'm keeping an eye on, at least. Right. Something we've talked about in the stock market for several years is um, TINA, which stands yeah. for There Is No Alternative, which is the idea that because bond yields are so low, it forces more investors into stocks. Well, now we have a new phenomenon here with this melt-up, is that since so many different industries and sectors are already bid up, it, it forces investors into, you know, they wake up in the morning and go, what can I possibly buy? Yeah. Right? It's yeah. like, so I go, so I go pay 25 times for Illinois Tool Works. Right. It doesn't um, seem that bad, though. I'm like, oh, right. that's not so bad, <laughs> like, even though it is from a value perspective. But I'm and, like, oh, that seems kind of cheap compared to, you know, NVIDIA at 55 times. And so, you know, if, if an investor says, well, what do I do in this situation? Yeah. I mean, number one, you'd like to be able to say, well, I'm glad you're already long a little bit of equities, right? And, right. And when you're looking for new ideas, you know, maybe there will be these rotations. So you mentioned energy as is potentially an undervalued area or, or having yeah. some stocks that could be undervalued. Well, when there is a tech sell-off of, say, 5%, you know, that's the way money's going to rotate, right? right. It's going to go from one sector to the other. And you, you kind of have to be patient for those opportunities. But I think if, for anybody who's a long-term investor or anybody who's got a 5- to 10-year horizon, now you don't really need to I, – I say don't worry about valuations. Just pick really good stocks. Okay. That's always good advice. What do you think of the small caps? All these stocks we covered here today are large caps, but the small caps are yeah. underperforming again to start 2018. I mean, the Russell 2000 is up about three, almost 4% year to date. That's that's pretty good on a normal year. But again, the NASDAQ's up uh, 6.3. The Dow is up 5.5. S&P up 5.2. And then we have the small caps again lagging. Is there opportunities there? Yeah, I mean, the... The softening U.S. dollar has really benefited large caps. Like to, yeah. it took away, it took away any excuse not to buy large caps. You know, when the dollar gets so weak, you know, because it's so right. so excellent for for exporters. Um, and small caps can obviously benefit from that environment too. And the tax cuts. It's, yeah, it's. I think it's just easier when you think about large institutions that are managing tens of billions of dollars. It's much easier for them to move money into the large caps. And know that they can get out. You know, they they kind of have a they have a a good expectation of what the volatility is going to be, what the risk is, and it's harder for them to to move around in the small caps. Yeah, for sure, for sure. That's more towards the the retail investors. Got to be thinking about the small caps here. I feel. 
a um, lot easier for them to buy those. Um, okay, so let's recap some of the tickers we talked about for those who are interested in still getting in. Um, we talked about Salesforce, CRM, there's Boeing, BA, Square is SQ, NVIDIA is NVDA, Pioneer Natural Resources is PXD, and since we're in earnings season, I don't believe any of these have reported yet right now. None of them have. So No, yeah, uh, NVIDIA is early February. Yeah, uh, but we did we did have another high flyer report last night. And that was Netflix. We did, yeah. And that thing is that thing is uh, off to the moon too. What it, I think you and I talked about it briefly. Do you justify the valuation up here? I do not. I've never liked okay. the content creators. Okay. I feel like you can't win. There's no moat. You have to keep producing the crown to win. But they won't always be able to produce it. You know what I mean? So I just don't like the content creators but so investors are responding positively to the subscriber growth yeah and then hoping that the content investment works out and that they'll get hit another winner right right because right now they did say the crown and that movie bright um were both the big drivers for getting new subscribers but you know and the crown can go on for quite some time i mean they're only in the 1960s right now. <laughs> the Queen's got another, you know, 40, 50 years still there to like, <laughs> keep going. And people love it. So so that's good. But once something like that ends, then where's their next hit? But that's the problem. They have to keep finding them. Them and, and Amazon Prime and, you know, Amazon Films. And now MoviePass. They're trying to acquire films at the Sundance Festival. So... Yeah, I, I'm not a big fan, but I know people people love Netflix. So, well, you know, I, I just taking a look at our detailed earnings estimates page on Zacks.com for Netflix, and you're ta- there's some pretty amazing EPS growth that they're expecting this year. I know. So, uh-huh. the, so the current year, um, well, actually, uh, yeah, they're lo- that, that's looking ahead to next year. I, I don't know how they're coming up with that, but so. The current year is, is uh, two dollars and thirty three cents, which is eighty eighty six percent growth. But I mean, that's yeah. a, for a two hundred and fifty dollars stock. That's <laughs> the <laughs> P is pretty, pretty high pricey. there. Yeah, you're paying a lot for that growth. But like I said earlier, nobody seems to care. It is a growth stock market right now, and growth is yeah. where everybody's pouring into. So um, value has been underperforming for a couple years and looks like to start 2018, it's going to continue, but that could change. So we'll see. But yeah, so Netflix is another one. NFLX we talked about. So um, be sure to check out those earnings reports and conference calls and tune in to Zax.com for all the earnings details on all those companies because we'll be covering it all here. Um, and also, you can subscribe to all of our podcasts so you can hear about what we think about the markets and tune in to Kevin and I's other podcasts because we've had some um, interesting discussions here about the psychology of the market. Uh, we've talked about like the Bitcoin and the cryptos and some of that stuff. And uh, we'll be talking more about why investors are getting in or when they do get out. We'll cover that, too. Um, here on the Market Edge. So be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on SoundCloud so you don't miss an episode. And I'll see you again next week.